I just want to start by asking a question. I uh, wonder how many of us can identify with this kind of an experience. There's a time in your life, maybe it was, maybe it is, there's a time in your life where you just kind of sense, due to some certain outward circumstances maybe, some unusual outward circumstances and some unusual thoughts you're having inside, but you kind of sense that, that God's trying to intervene in your life. That, that he's trying to grab your attention in some way and you sense that he's inviting you to take a different kind of an adventure he, he's inviting you to take a different quality of life but you're not sure exactly what that would mean you don't have the clarity you don't have the certainty if you make the change if you take the venture if you follow the leadership of God in the way that you sense he's kind of nudging you toward you're, you're a little uncertain you're a little unclear you're a little afraid of the kind of change it might make. I wonder if any of us can identify with that. But because that's what this series is about. It's called Night. It's about a time in our life where God is actually trying to intervene. He's trying to get our attention. He wants to invite us to a different place in life, to be a different person in life. But we want to look into the future more than we're able to. We, we want some clarity. We want some certainty. He just says, come and, and follow it's going to bring change but you're going to have to kind of travel at night and you're going to have to trust me to lead the way that's what the series is about those kinds of experiences in our life night now we're going to start with this the night of separation and liberation now, let me explain a little bit first of all we need kind of a definition of the word liberation the way liberate, liberty or freedom is used by God when God talks about freedom, when he talks about liberty, and we'll see this as we get into the scripture in a bit, it's talking about living the way God himself lives and loving the way God himself loves. It, it talks about living according to the way God designed us to live. For example, a fish is free, a fish is liberated when it's living in water. If it jumps out of the water and tries to live on land, it loses its freedom. It's living contrary to its design. If a train is on its tracks, it goes forward, it goes fast. It's functioning according to design. If an airplane is in the sky and it's going forward and fast, it's good. If it tries to put on the brakes and stop, it goes down. So when I talk about liberty, I'm talking about it from God's perspective. And liberty is, I am, you are, we are living in the way that God designed us to live. That is what actually brings liberty. And when there's liberation, it almost always means separation. In other words, if I keep on doing what I've always done, I'm going to keep on getting what I've always got. I have to be willing to leave some things behind, separate from some things in order to enter into the authentic liberty of life that God wants me to have. All right, we're going to start today by, by looking at a, a crucial experience in the first peoples of God that identified, that God identified himself with and identified with, with the Lord, um, that we call the Exodus. It's the Passover. It, it's that crucial stage where God is going to intervene in Egypt, where the Israelites have been dwelling for about 400 years. They have been treated with brutal slavery in the last parts of those years. But God's about to free them. It's, it's the story of Moses. By the way, up until this point, there was no Bible. <laughs> this is the starting point when God started revealing himself, revealing himself to human beings, telling those human beings right down the record 
of who I am and how I think and what I do and what things are going to be expanded in your history. This was the start of the written revelation of the Word of God. It was first given to Moses, who is the one that the Lord uses to lead the Israelites out of this Egyptian bondage. Now, how many of you can, can just for maybe three minutes, just for three minutes, you can, you can ratchet up your attention because I'm going to have to read you a long narrative and, and, and the tendency is you're going to dial out. You're, you're going to lose, lose your interest. You're going to get bored. Three minutes, man, all your concentration. You, can I get it? Can I see your hands? I'm going to focus. I'm going to focus, Randy. All right, it's long, but you have to tell the story. Okay, here we go. Exodus 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them I will take you as my own people and I will be your God and I will bring you to what does it say the land keep that in mind we'll come back to it the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham he's the start of the nation of Israel Abraham Isaac Jacob and Jacob's name is changed to Israel to Isaac and to Jacob I will give to you as a possession I am the Lord. So he's talking about a land that he's going to give them. Let's go on with the story. Now here's the actual Passover event. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Got to concentrate. I know it's hard. It's a, it's, a, it's a long story here. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household, take care of them until the 14th day of the month so this is going to be Israel's first month in their calendar year and the 14th day of that month is when this event's supposed to take place let's go on when the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight these are the lambs they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses just curiosity when someone is on a cross and they're bleeding you have the blood from the side and the blood from the top. It's symbolic of Jesus' sacrificial death, which wouldn't happen for about another 1,500 years. The blood is put on the sides and on the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn, both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the who? The gods of Egypt, there are 10 plagues or 10 judgments. This is the 10th. And if you do the study background, you find they were all aiming at some of these gods of Egypt to show that they are false gods, they are inferior gods, and there's only one true God. So I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come, and you shall celebrate as a festival to the Lord. Keep that in mind, festival from the Lord. In Leviticus 23, there are seven festivals the Lord gives. Those festivals, and I'm going to show those to you in a minute, they give the entire plan of God right down to the second coming of Christ. And God put them up front in just a few months after the Israelites had come out of Egypt. Now, they didn't understand what these festivals meant, but we see as time went on when Jesus fulfilled them. Let me go on. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, 
Notice it's night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and all the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. They had requested again and again to Pharaoh, Let my people go, let my people go. He kept refusing. Let's go on. Now, Genesis 15 Remember, God told them in the early verse, the first passage we read, that he was going to take them to a land, a land that he had sworn to Abraham 400 years earlier. So God in Genesis 15, you're going to read about it. On that day, the Lord made a covenant, an agreement, a, a bound agreement with Abram and said to him, and said, to your descendants, I give this, what's the word? Land. From the wadi of Egypt, and, and we all know about wadis, from the wadi of Egypt to the, <laughs> it's a dried up river. <laughs> from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, you geographers, man, you're tracking with me. I know you're excited right now. Your heart's pumping. So, <laughs> now, the land of the Kenites, the Ken, Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Fleabites, the Tickbites. <laughs> The mosquito bites, every kind of bite. <laughs> Here's the summary. The whole land of Canaan, <laughs> where you now reside as a foreigner, meaning Abram, I will give as in, now this is important. Let this sink in. This land that we've just heard described rather briefly, but I'm going to show you more. I will give you as a, what kind of possession? Everlasting possession. And to you and to your who? Descendants after you, which are the Israelites. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. The Israelites are in Egypt. They're in bondage for 400 years. And then God brings them out to take them to the land that he had promised to Abraham some 400 years earlier. Now, now, why do you keep emphasizing this land, Randy? And I will be their God. So I, uh, to your descendants and after you, and I will be their God. Let me go on. Now, this is the present day. Uh, actually, this is distorting so badly. Here we go. This is the present day land of Israel. You've got to really squeeze in. You see this little light part here and this little light part here? That's, my fingers can cover it. That's the land of Israel now. There are about 9 million people in the entire nation of Israel. That's it. That's the whole land of Israel. You can see Egypt over here has got 112 million people. Syria's got 23 million people. Uh, Jordan's got 11 million. Saudi Arabia's got, I think it's 31, 32 million. Anyway, much bigger. Israel's got just 9 million. And you see that little green dot right there? Can everybody see that? I'm going to try to put my finger on it. The little green dot, that's the Gaza Strip, the Gaza Strip that we hear so much about. There are about 2 million people in the Gaza Strip. You see this little green part here? That's the West Bank. That's where there's about 3 million people, and Jews and Arabs mingle together every day, go to work together. They live in harmony together every day. So here's the little nation of Israel. Here's the, the Gaza Strip where all the conflict is taking place, and you can see these enormous land masses around Israel. Now, let me show you the land that God originally gave to Abraham. 
Here we go. Remember when I was giving you that description of the, from the Wadi of Egypt to the Euphrates River and then the Canaanites and the Cabanites and the Mennonites and the every kind of knights that you think of? Well, here's the actual geog- geographic uh, barrier or, or um, outline of what God gave to them. It literally, the land takes in a little bit of Turkey. It takes in most of Syria. You can see it takes in a huge swath of what is modern-day Iraq, a huge section of Egypt, an enormous section of Saudi Arabia. It takes in all of Jordan, all of Lebanon, um, all of this territory. So, so here's the thing. Remember we just read it said that God gave that to them as an everlasting possession. Everlasting. This land does not belong, according to God, to anyone else but Israel. Israel does not have all the land that God gave them. So when we hear all this controversy about this little dot of land, and we're hearing things like Israel are a bunch of colonialist oppressors that pushed the poor Palestinians out of their land, the land that they had owned for so many centuries and so forth. In 1948, they just came along and bullied them and pushed them out. This is, this is a terrible distortion of history. This is not true. The truth is that land, all of it belongs to the Israelites, and as you can see, way, way more land belongs to them. Now, each of you are going to have to make a decision. This isn't about politics. This is about who you're going to trust. You're going to trust God or you're going to trust a bunch of left-wing intellectuals that have infiltrated for 40 years the institutions of higher learning and poisoned the minds of people to believe falsehoods about the nation of Israel. We all have to make a decision where we're going to fall now. We, we see these people demonstrating in the streets about from the river to the sea. Let me tell you what the river to the sea means. When they demonstrate, these Palestinians demonstrate, they're, they're talking for the entire extinction of Israel. They're talking about from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, no Jews, the extinction of the Jews. God has said they are his people. He will be with them. They will be here when Christ returns and we as Christians better get our eyes and our understandings open to know what God says is true about the geographical boundaries of the nation of Israel. All right, let me go to something else really quickly. I mentioned to you that the Passover that we just read about, it's one of the festivals of the Lord. These festivals are all given in Leviticus 23. You can read it on your own sometime, but these festivals of the Lord they are giving the whole plan of God down through the ages. This is only a couple months after the Israelites left Egypt. God lays out the whole plan until the very second coming of Christ. We didn't even know. The Jews would year after year do that Passover ceremony, killing the lambs, putting the blood, and so forth. They didn't really know for sure what it meant, that is, until Jesus on that 14th day of that first month of the Jewish year went to the cross and fulfilled the Passover. And then it was like, oh, so the lamb, it's like John the Baptist said, John 129, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then Jesus rose from the grave. That's first fruits. Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion, the Spirit of God is given to empower the people of God to take the message of Christ to the whole world. That's fulfilled. So all of these spring holidays are fulfilled, but the fall holidays are not. Sometimes you hear me say things like, Jesus will return in September or October of some year. And here's why I say that, because these fall holidays, that's where they fall. The Feast of Trumpets, then the Day of Atonement 10 days later, and then Tabernacles. Jesus will return at the Feast of Trumpets, and these will then establish his overall reign. So the, uh, the whole plan of God 
is in these festivals of the Lord laid out in advance. Now, for 1,500 years, the Jews fulfilled these things. They practiced them, in other words, but they didn't know what they meant. And so now you have more insight because the entire revelation of God has been completed. We have it in our, in our Bible, both Old and New Testament. All right, so the, the real title, though, the thing we're really dealing with is the, the separation that's necessary in order to experience the liberation that God wants us to experience. So let's start with this point. Seeing the decisiveness it demands. If, I, if I'm going to experience the liberty, if I'm going to experience the freedom that God intends me to experience, and I can't experience that freedom apart from union of my heart and life and mind with God, with Christ, with my Creator, unless I'm living the kind of life that God experiences in Himself, I'm never going to know the freedom that God wants me to free. It, it's when the life of God dwells in the soul of men, women, boys, girls, that we experience real liberty so this requires decisiveness it's night we don't know when God reveals himself to us when he intervenes in our life when he seeks to get our attention when he's prodding us to think about our life to think about reality to think about eternity to make a change we don't always know what that's going to mean we don't know what he's going to ask us to leave behind and what he's going to take us toward that's where the whole element of trust has to come in so it calls for decisiveness. You might be in a nighttime right now where you know God's trying to get your attention. You know he's trying to ask you to let go of something so that he can lead you to something, but you're uncertain, you're scared, you don't know what the ramifications are going to be. You think to yourself, man, I, I know what my life is like now. It may not be the best, but at least it's predictable. At least I kind of have some pleasures in my life. And, and if I go all God's way, if I become his person and do things this way, I, I, don't, I don't know what that's going to mean. It might turn me into some kind of a weirdo that has no, no pleasure at all in life. It calls for decision, and you don't always, we don't have the clarity, the certainty that we'd like to have. Deuteronomy says this. This is just, you know, at the end of the Israelites' journey, so they, instead of going straight to the promised land, they get to the border of the promised land in about 18 months, but they cower out they don't trust God and so he then sends them into the wilderness it turns into a 40 year journey what could have been 18 months turns into 40 years and at the end of the 40 years he's about to finally lead the next generation who's ready to trust God and be courageous he's ready to lead them into the promised land and this is where these words from Deuteronomy come from it says this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death blessing and curses now do what choose life so that you and your children may live so God is is saying to those Israelites then he has said for generation after generation of human beings through the ages he is saying to each and every one of us here this morning make no mistake he is begging with us he's pleading with us choose life life will not work any other way than the way the creator has created life to be lived God doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself does not do he's simply saying live the way I live learn to live the way I live learn to love the way I love that is the only way that life can work in the universe that's the only way there can be eternal peace amongst individuals both human and angelic individuals and he's saying choose you got to choose it and to not choose is to make a choice to, to be complacent, to ignore God's call to make a choice to leave behind what he says is ultimately detrimental and destructive to us and reach out and allow him to lead us into the kind of life which is life indeed 
we have to make a choice right right now as we're sitting here today if the spirit of god were to turn the lights on on each of our hearts we would see that some of our hearts have complete trust in christ and we are passionately devoted to following him fully and to following him freely and to following him forever we we love his word we love his ways we love his will we want so much every day of our life to just become a little bit more like him we we are sold out to god and his kingdom and then the light would go up and show that some of our hearts are not that way it's not a knock it's not meant to make you feel bad it's meant to give you clarity that we face decision and that the real god watches our hearts and he wants us to make the right decision but he will not force himself upon any of us choose life he says choose life man to not choose god's life is to bring unnecessary curses curses on ourselves. life only works the way god has designed it to work another portion of scripture now this is actually after the israelites had gone into the promised land fought for seven and a half years under joshua's leadership and now joshua was about to die and turn the leadership over to others and once again he calls the people of god you've got to make up your minds you've got to choose but if serving the lord seems undesirable to you then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve so, so God is very open-minded. He says, I know some of you, you're not interested. You, you don't care about serving me. You, you're not attracted to me. You don't like me. You're not, you're not one that trusts me. So you've got to make up your own mind. Serve yourself. Do it your way, essentially. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, to me, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. We'll either serve God or we'll serve ourselves. And that always ends up disappointing whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me, Joshua's talking for himself now, he says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, I hope with all my heart that's the statement that reverberates in every heart in here today you're saying you know what i don't give a rip what anybody else does in society i don't care what they think i don't care what they say i don't care what direction they go i am going to serve the lord you watch me randy you check me out today you check me out next week check me out 10 years from now and i'm going to be found serving the lord i'm going to be in god's word his word's going to be in me i'm going to be obedient to him because i love him i trust him and i am going to stand faithful for him and i'm going to tell as many people as i can about his goodness and trustworthiness until my last heartbeat until my last breath i'm going to serve the lord i hope that is the conviction that each of us have in our hearts but it probably isn't and so for those that it isn't my heart's desire and the lord's heart's desire is to persuade you at least a step closer to consideration of serving the lord so here's what i want to give you an understanding of so the israelites that were going to leave egypt where they had been slaves for 400 years and now they were going to go and become the people of god God was going to give them not just the Ten Commandments. We, we think about the Ten Commandments, you know, the big stone commandments, but God actually gives them 613 commandments. God is going to change their lives in every category, every area. He's going to tell them how to dress. He's going to tell them, you know, when to be active. He's going to tell them when not to be active. He's going to tell them how to plant their crops. He's going to give them how to do justice with one another. He's going to impose on them his ways of thinking and living because he is the creator and he knows what is best so they're going to go into a complete lifestyle change 
when they become the people of God. They're going to, you know, take this journey with the Lord toward the promised land. Now, here's the thing. When, when someone is going to change from being who they are to becoming who God created them to be, it, it's kind of a process that is inevitable. For, for example, you, you, you can apply this in any realm. Let, let's take if I decided or you decided, or, or better yet, some, some child because you've got to start this when you're early. So let's say a child, a young child decides he or she wants to be a gymnast. Okay, they, they watch gymnastic competitions and they say, man, that, that's, mom, dad, that's what I want to do. Well, well, there's a process, right? You don't just desire to become a gymnast and then become one instantaneously. But it does start with desire. It does start. So, so I, I want to share with you a divine developmental process that the Israelites are going to go through and that God now wants to take each and every one of us through here's the divine developmental process it starts with attraction the little kid you know says i, I want to be a gymnast god says do you want to be my people do you like who i am are you attracted to my way of thinking and living there has to be attraction the second thing is decision now there has to be a breaking point where okay i'm going to be a follower of christ or i'm going to become a sold-out servant of god with the gymnast that decision has to be made i'm going to go and sign up somewhere you know i'm going to i'm going to get involved in this now once you sign up you have to find a trainer if you're going to be a gymnast you got to find a good trainer and you must submit completely to that trainer's orders ideas regimen so so there's complete submission when we become a follower of christ make no mistake god says trust me completely live in accord with my will not your will i can't help you unless you'll separate yourself from your will and embrace my will there'll always be discord if we're trying to mix those two together so there's attraction decision then there's submission complete submission the israelites are going to submit themselves completely to the 613 commands of god and then there's regimentation you got to put it into practice you got to work it out so for a gymnast it means you're going to start getting in five days a week six days a week five hours a day six hours a day if you're really serious you're you're going to do this week after week month after month year after year maybe even for a decade before you become a gymnast so there's submission regimentation and then after the regimentation okay if you're going to be a gymnast you got to put a lot of years in a lot of hours in and then finally you go from a wannabe gymnast to a real gymnast the transformation just a little hobby I, I don't talk about it a lot <laughs> you want to see my real hobby go, go ahead show, show them there it is <laughs> everybody that's going to plant a church should take up uh, alligator wrestling I'll just end it there I won't say anymore <laughs> that's a joke too I'm not an alligator wrestler at all. but if I were going to wrestle an alligator I would get a small one like that okay we, we can go to something else <laughs> Uh, there is a, a second point I want us to, to focus on as we get ready to kind of slowly shut down y you know we have to seize the opportunities the Israelites were given this opportunity by God to leave Egypt to become his people to be free to have their own land their own God given identity to live by a whole new lifestyle that was going to bring their spirits their souls their minds their bodies to life at the highest possible level but ultimately you've got to seize it just because the opportunity just because God says choose life it doesn't mean that I'm going to to necessarily do it just like the gymnast you know I have to take action it's easy you want to know what the biggest curse is for church people church people hear messages like this Sunday after Sunday 
and they go home and say that was pretty good <laughs> but they don't do anything about it and if we don't do anything about it it's like having a big wonderful uh, Dutch's daughter meal sitting there before you but you don't ever take the fork and eat any of it it's not going to do you much good it's just kind of tantalizing so there has to be the, the Israelites they did it they slaughtered the lamb they took the risk night came midnight came the cry came get out of Egypt finally they were going to be set free but they had to be willing to leave it all behind at least Egypt was was stabilized for them they they knew what life was like in Egypt they had plenty of good food in Egypt because later on on the journey they complained about the good food they left behind they complained about it quite a bit so it wasn't like there wasn't something attractive about Egypt it's not like there isn't something attractive about our lives when we're ruling we're reigning we're doing things our way there is some attraction to that even though it may come with some increasing consequences we still at least know what to expect we're in control and, and so this is big seizing the opportunity because God just says I'm going to take you I'm going I'm to show you how to become my people and it's going to be a better quality of life but you know it's dark and you're not going to know what all it entails you're just going to have to trust me you're just going to have to follow me so we have to remind ourselves this is the big problem in the universe the biggest problem in the universe is distrust in God and that distrust it produces what is the word disobedience to his will the reason we live in a world where there's heartbreak and there's crime and there's sadness and there's there's all kinds of tragedies day in and day out all kinds of chaos all kinds of betrayals all kinds of abandonment it's because human beings broke trust with their creator and then we start making it up we experiment with life we're just trying to be happy but we just try things we don't know what we're doing and we end up like a, a bunch of bumper cars just crashing into each other and hurting ourselves and hurting one another unnecessarily the biggest problem in the universe is distrusting God when I don't trust God I'm going to be disobedient I'm, I'm going to do it my way instead of his way there's a second component to this trust can only be restored through God's willingness to patiently consistently and gently reveal himself and demonstrate his trustworthiness once God has been slandered and Lucifer slandered the Lord in the Garden of Eden and humanity has ever since been distrustful of God once we distrust God once somebody's been slandered God's only way of winning back our trust is, is just this he's got to patiently consistently and gently reveal himself and prove to us again that he's trustworthy and he is so humble that this is in fact exactly what he has done through the Old Testament all the way into the New fulfilling it all when he reveals himself completely in Christ and particularly Christ's sacrificial love for us demonstrated on the cross and then his mighty power showing he could keep all his promises to us by rising from the grave so God has done now everything that he can do to win back our trust and so we're not like the Israelites they didn't even have a Bible they were the start of the Bible we have the whole revelation now given to us let me take this a little further his trustworthiness as well as as well as here's the second part humans becoming convinced of sins inevitable what is the word 
destructiveness. God is allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever. Part of abolishing evil forever is I must, you must, we must become convinced that when God labels something sin, it's always destructive. It may not be immediately recognizable as destructive, but it's ultimately destructive. Until I realize that, and as we experiment with sin and taste the consequences that inevitably come, we now become convinced ourselves. We're like, yeah, this is nuts, man. If God says something, sin, I've been there, I've done that, I know what it brings. It may be pleasurable initially in the start, but it never ends that way. I just want to ask you a question. How many of you, you have experimented with some things that you now know that God says this is sin this is forbidden territory don't go there don't do that but you did it i did it and it was pleasurable at the start but man oh man it had some consequences that came and we've learned that that now we're like no way no way been there done that no way just curious how many can identify with that can i see your hands that's what this means so god is revealing his trustworthiness simultaneously he is allowing us to experience the bitterness of sin so that we are now convinced from the inside by our own experience when god calls something sin he's not trying to restrict our freedom he's not trying to deprive us of the highest blessings of life in fact he's trying to lead us to the highest blessings by protecting us from these things that he knows may be fun for a little while but troubling sometimes for the rest of our lives all right so really when we're talking about the passover today the passover for israel was this symbolic thing that set them free from egypt but the real passover is jesus it's he's the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world and the real liberty we need today is the liberty from sin jesus speaking he said he said to the jews who believed if you keep and obey my word that's a big if that's a big contingency if if you keep and obey my word then you are my what followers for for what for sure which is to say if we're not if we're calling ourselves his follower but we're not keeping his word we're not obedient to his word we might be deceiving ourselves we're not his followers it says in acts eleven twenty six. it says the the followers of the way or the disciples the followers were first called christians at Antioch Christian was a word that came later on first of all everybody knew if I'm going to trust Jesus I become his follower I submit to him fully I start living under the the leadership of the king of the kingdom of God and I do this because I'm attracted to his will his ways his word he says if you keep my word then you're my followers for sure you'll know so something happens here you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. This word here, no, it's, it's a word for experiencing something. As we obey God, we see, oh, wow. When I do things God's way, it, it, it really starts to create harmony in my exterior circumstances. But more importantly, something comes alive inside, and I start to feel good about myself. My, my conscience is at ease, and, and I can live in the skin that I'm in with a little more a little more calmness a little more self-acceptance you will know the truth and the truth will make you free jesus answered them for sure i tell you everyone who sins is the what servant of of sin and why because sin has a what a hold on him if the son jesus talking about himself makes you free you will be free for sure make no mistake jesus our passover sacrificed himself to win back our trust so that 
he can free us from what is our real danger our real enemy the real spoiler in our lives we have such a hard time with this because we know up front there's some sin that when you first start practicing it it seems to be very rewarding Uh, it, it seems to give a lot of pleasure maybe even some profit you know and so this is where we get stuck it's like god says no 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 no. it's going to be hurtful jesus came and sacrificed himself to win our trust because he actually wants to set us free from sin present tense get it out of your head some penalty in the future for your sin that is not what the scripture teaches it teaches that i need we need to be set free from sin the self-destructive force right now the sins in our lives it's not God trying to be some fuddy-duddy. It is a loving God, a good, good father God, like we sang, that, that wants to savingly bring us out of danger and into fullness of life. Romans 6 says kind of the same thing in a slightly different way. It says, Do you not know that to whomever you give yourselves as servants to obey, you are his servants whom you obey i can say i'm god's servant but if i'm not obeying him i'm not his servant whether it be sin unto death or it be obedience unto righteousness but now you are free from the power of sin you have become a servant of god your life is set apart for god like what does it say set apart for what god like living you were meant i was meant to live the way god lives he doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself doesn't do and god like loving we could add to that your life is set apart for god-like living the end is a life that does what last forever romans 8 gives us this assurance that while we're in this process it is a developmental process we are not instantaneously perfect i have prayed it does not work i have prayed lord make me like you i want so desperately to be like you in the name of jesus i ask make me like you it doesn't work because god's got a developmental process and you can pray for something and i can pray for something but if that's not a part of god's process it's not going to work you could pray for you know a hundred foot oak tree to you know develop overnight you put a little acorn in the ground you want a hundred foot oak tree it's not going to be answered because it's it's in defiance with god's processes so while we're in process god gives us the assurances that we need so that we don't get discouraged romans 8 1 it says there is now how much condemnation none no condemnation now for those who live in union with christ that means i I really trust him i am by my own free choice following him i'm following him freely i'm following him fully and i'm following him forever let me add to this second corinthians 5 says if anyone who is joined to christ is a new being the old is gone the new has come god sees us once we make that decision like the israelites i'm going to leave egypt behind i'm going to follow you lord into a land into a life that i don't fully understand but i'm going to trust you once i make the decision you make the decision i'm going to trust christ i'm going to live by his word because i trust him even though i don't know all the changes it's going to mean god says you're you're a whole different kind of a person now than what you were before you're you're a new creation the spirit of god has created a new you who loves god loves righteousness wants to be what god created you to be let me add to this it says in ephesians 2 19 it says consequently you're no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with god's people you belong i belong and members of his household now some stranger came off the street and walked into your home and opened your refrigerator up and started cooking a meal how would you feel you're happy i'm not happy i'm scared 
<laughs> but if a member of your family opens the refrigerator, you don't even pay attention, right? I, I'm trying to emphasize. It's saying that once we identify with God and we become his followers, he says, you're, you're my people. You, can, you, you have refrigerator rights. You can go into my refrigerator anytime you want. <laughs> you're, you're family now. You're, you're, you're forever family. Let me add to this. Romans 8, it says, God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in him, so he chose them and made them to be like who? The son. You are, I am, just like the Israelites were destined to become like God. You are, we are, who have trusted in God as he's revealed himself fully now in Christ. We are destined to become exactly like Christ your growth potential my growth potential you, you, we have to remind ourselves of this because you know when you're trying to take f steps forward to be obedient to God and to become who he wants you to become and to do what he wants you to do sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back and we get discouraged and we get into condemnation and we want we get in that all or nothing thinking you know if I can't do it right I'm not going to do it at all and we need to just kind of remind ourselves wait a minute wait a minute God's going to finish this work I want to become like Christ. He sees my heart. He is going to help me to ultimately become like Christ. That's the potential God has placed inside of us. And that means this. Ephesians 4 says, our goal, real Christians, our goal is not heaven alone. I mean, way too many people that their only goal is, <laughs> is to make sure they squeak into heaven. You know, they, they don't much care how they live on earth. They just want to make sure. Am I going to make the cut? Am I going to make it up in the I don't want that elevator going down on me, Randy. Is, it, is that elevator going up? Our goal, real Christians' goal, is to become a full-grown man. Well, what does a full-grown man or a full-grown human look like? To look just like, you say it, Christ. And have what? All his perfection. You say, Randy, nobody's going to be perfect. You're talking about perfection stuff. I'm just going to get discouraged. Listen, it doesn't say that we're going to experience perfection in this life, but it says it should be our goal. If we're authentic, if we have seen the beauty and attraction of God in Christ, we authentically hunger and thirst after righteousness. We really want to be like him. We're not just always saying, well, you know, do, you, do you have to do this? Can I still do that? You know, when, when we're thinking like that, sometimes it's innocent enough and we just need God's truth, but sometimes it's showing that we are not honestly, authentically attracted to Christ. We don't want to be like him. In fact, I could go so far as to say we don't really like him because if you really like him, you want to be like him. But sometimes we want to use him. We want to use him to heal us. We want to use him to bless our business. Or we want to use him to get us into heaven. Um, this is the goal of real Christians. It's like, man, I've seen something. I've seen something so beautiful, so wonderful. I desperately want to grow and to develop like him. Now I'm going to close by showing you a verse from Exodus 12 where we started reading earlier that I didn't show you when we were reading. Exodus 12 says this. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. And on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Here's what I'm trying to get at. When we go through what I'm calling in this series the, the night times or the night of life, 
when nothing's clear, nothing's certain, we sense that God's intervening in our life, we sense that he's inviting us to take a new journey, to leave some things behind, to enter into some things that we don't quite understand yet, but he's going to lead us into it. We, we have to know God is still keeping vigil. It's unclear to us. It's scary to us. It may feel tension. It's like, man, what am I going to lose? If I finally do it all God's way, what am I going to lose? Will I be able to to still have any happiness. We, we go through all these gyrations in our minds. We need to know the Lord kept vigil. When they were leaving Egypt and probably very afraid, the Lord was watching over them in the night. It wasn't clear to them where they were going and what it was going to entail, but it was very clear to God. Kim gave two messages recently, and she used a term that we need to understand in this series about life's nights. She used the term Godfidence. And her message is centered around two things, that God is for us and God is with us. When we are experiencing life's nights where we know that God's intervening and we know he's inviting us to take a journey, an adventure, a different direction, we need to have confidence, confidence. We need to know God is with me Come on. and God is for me. That's right. So maybe it's nighttime for some of you. You're in that season right now. You, you know God's intervening. He's trying to get your attention. And he wants to make a change. Wants you, let me say it that way. He wants you to make a change, but you're scared. It's unclear. It's uncertain. You're concerned. What is this going to mean? What, what will I lose? What will I have to leave behind? What will I gain? He's not going to show you everything. He has shown you that he's a good, good father. He is a trustworthy, living Lord. He is a sacrificially loving Savior. And he's just going to say, you either trust me and follow me or you don't I am begging some of you today you know exactly what the issue or issues are in your life that God wants you to let go of to leave behind to, to at least enter into struggle against you know exactly the areas that must be cleansed out must be changed before you can experience the fullness of life of living in union with God's will and His Word. You know exactly what that means. It's, it's scary to you to think of the change. I'm pleading with you. Make the decision. Make the decision now. While your spirit is aroused, while you sense the presence of God, while you know that He's trying to, to get you to choose life, like we read earlier in that verse, do it before you leave here today. Choose the path of life. Do business with God and let him do work in you and through you. Let's pray. Father, you know each of us, you know our lives, you know the decisions we stand at the fork in the road that need to be made. Some of us maybe for the first time to, to authentically and truly turn to you, Lord Jesus, in trust. Take you as our king. Follow you as our Lord and our shepherd. Maybe that's a decision some of us authentically need to make today. Others of us, we, we've gotten kind of trapped in some habits, in some lifestyles, in, in some sins. Let's just call it what it is. And we beg that you'll stir our hearts with a new ferocity to resist, to put off, to separate from that which is destructive in your sight and to enter into the life that you want us all to experience. Help us, Father, to make decisions now that will reverberate in our minds as this week goes on. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.